that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lippery, Stephen Baird, Stephen Means. Defensive side of the ball, depth chart time. Did the offense on Monday. Went long, 213. Happens. We were just discussing, will this be longer or shorter? Nathan, you believe the defense is potentially more complicated? What's the right word? I suppose that's the right word. It was more complicated if you're trying to put your name on it and lock it down and make a prediction. I feel like, as I texted today, I counted up like 17 guys that I thought might plausibly be starters this fall. And so which of those guys fit at which spots? And there's a much we don't know just because we also don't know exactly how Jim Knowles is going to stack this up. Yeah. And I do want to make sure like we're not going to allow ourselves to get bogged down too much in like definitions, uh, names. Right. I mean, there's some point of like deep safeties and box safeties and defensive ends who might drop into coverage or whatever. But like we, we understand, I think that some things might change with positions and what guys are asked to do, but also I don't think it's, I mean, it's still football. It's not like we can't possibly envision it. So uh, I hope we, I don't know. I mean, it's, I would like to, I hope we take the talk to Jim Knowles uh, sooner than later as we approach. I hope we don't have to wait until like spring football and talk to Jim Knowles. That would actually aggravate me. I would assume that we get them once this contact period ends, which is on the 31st. So I would assume that first week of February, we get them because none of the coaches are in Columbus right now. They yeah, all my inclination curtain. from, yeah. yeah, my inclination from my touching base with Ohio state was that we will get them before spring. But okay. I mean, if you're talking about late January spring, isn't that far, I guess, beyond that. So. All right, let's start defensive line. Let's start with the ends. They're famous. Zach Harrison stayed at Ohio State. JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer are five stars who are entering year two. Nathan, how did you break down this defensive end depth chart? And for the purposes of this, I didn't get too wrapped up in this idea of the Jack or the Leo or whatever it might be called. I simply put who I thought were going to be the two best defensive ends based on what we saw last year. And so I think the starters will be Zach Harrison and JT Tuimaloa. What do you think about that idea, Steven? I think you weren't trying to do that, but by grouping them the way you grouped them, um, you did it anyway. Because it's it, those sort are two, of. yeah, they're very. Those are two very different types of defensive ends, and what they're going to be asked to do here. So I'm fine with that, especially because of who you have behind them. So how did you have the second team then, Nathan? Well, then I just put Sawyer on the same side as Harrison, and I put Tyler Friday slash Javante Jean Baptiste behind JT Tuimaloa, um, because as Stephen is saying, that does seem to be a bit of a separation there. I'm intrigued by. Tuimaloao and his athletic upside. I think we think of him because he's big. Sometimes we, I think we should be careful not to like limit him to being just a big defensive end. Cause he is just so athletically talented that maybe he could get out and do some stuff. But for right now, it would seem like Harrison and Sawyer, if they want that more versatile position or that more dynamic, I don't, I don't know how you want to say it, that, that, that like hybrid versatile, position, versatile. the finesse, the, Finesse versus physical. Almost. But, but, well, 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 I just, don't know if finesse is the right word. No, because I mean, it, well, it's just about like who might drop into coverage every now and then. Right? Yeah, that if yeah. that guy's going to do that more, that I don't know that 
I mean, like Cam Hayward when he was here was like a more of a strong side defensive end. That 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 I mean, I think I think there's something to what Steven's saying, but it's about it's not about your skill set as much as it is how your skill set affects what they ask you to do if the positions are slightly different. And so, do you and want JT Tumalo out dropping into coverage now and then, or do you want Jack Sawyer dropping into coverage now and then? It make I guess it makes sense to me at the moment that it might be more like Sawyer and Harrison. And there have been times in recent Ohio State history where you wouldn't just limit this discussion to defensive ends, I don't think. I think if this were go- happening going into the 2020 season, we'd probably have a discussion whether Baron Browning should be considered for that kind of position. But I, I think that's rare. I don't think that's something you're going to see from every linebacker group. And with this one in particular, I think that it is going to probably come out of that defensive end group. I mean, the, the, the hard thing, they're edge rushers. Right. These guys are right. going to be edge rushers. It's a matter of are you slightly more like a three, four outside linebacker edge rusher who's then is asked to do slightly more things? Or are you more of what we're used to at Ohio State where you're a four, three hand on the ground most of the time edge rusher where you don't get out in space very much? I mean, I again, we Zach Harrison dropped in coverage for like one snap this this year against Michigan State. And I was like, wow, look at that. And he was good at it, but it was like it was so unusual, Stephen. Like I they it does seem like they are going to potentially be asking somebody to be doing something that we haven't seen guys at that position do as a norm here at Ohio State. It almost like a 50-50 thing, depending on down and distance, you know, what what you need. It's just <laughs> Yeah, it's just going to depend on a lot of different things. I do think it'll be 50% hand in the dirt, 50% they might be standing, just depending on the situation. But just because they're standing doesn't mean they're going to not run. It doesn't mean they're going to drop and right. It's just like, what do you want to, what do you want a quarterback to be thinking about pre-snap, basically? Well, and then what are you asking the data to do? I'm trying to look up David Ojabo here because he, I think, is an example of it, of how often you know, was he actually maybe in coverage, right? At times that again, Hutchinson, I don't think they asked Hutchinson to do that as much as they might've asked a at Michigan this year. I, th- I think there might be a little something, something to that, Nathan, when we're trying to figure out like how this might shake down. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we need to also keep some percentage of our thought about this open to the idea that, I mean, yes, Jim Knowles used that extensively at Oklahoma State. Yes, he used it at Duke. What's something, though, that Jim Knowles has never had at his disposal at any place he's ever been a defensive coordinator, and that is a four-man front led by Larry Johnson. So I don't know that – I imagine it'll still be used in some way. It may not be as extensive as he's used it in the past. Is he may, they may decide that they don't need it the way that they needed it and at other stops he's been at. Because if you can make the four-man front and the pressure you create from that um, in, you know, is significant enough, then I think that makes up for whatever you're trying to um, mitigate with, with having that guy be the more stand-up, more versatile defender. So PFF doesn't have Michigan stats. They don't have a PFF person at Michigan. So that was really the – that was not productive. Yeah. No, I'm trying to figure out like how often was a job like in coverage versus how often was a job like rushing the passer and there's nothing. So um, I think you're, I think you're mistaken. You think I'm looking at it wrong? Yes. This is riveting podcasting. Do you have it? 
I'm looking so it up right now. Breakdown yeah. of, of they a have, job yes, yes. Go uh, okay. On, under where on the left hand side where it says premium stats, underneath that where it says weeks. What does yours say? Premium stats weeks. What do you mean weeks? Oh, it says league yeah. season weeks. You know what? We'll have it all. Make your post. search. What is all star? What is all star? It's what, what is all star? It's what just is it? Bowl. What they grade somebody in the senior bowl. Who cares? Yeah. It I, hasn't nobody. happened yet. Nobody. Why are you preemptively defaulting to All-Star for an All-Star game that hasn't happened? Default I, to the games that have been played. I'm fairly certain for people who are listening to the second installment of this that we had a discussion along but these lines during the first one that we did. <laughs> you're defaulting. You're defaulting to something. Default to what has already happened. Oh, I wonder if someone wants to preemptively look up All-Star stats that don't exist. No, I don't. I want to look up the games that are already played, PFF, that we pay and also, for. And also, there's probably not that many people who are that interested in a PFF grade from an all-star game. I'm just going to be honest. Of the things that you want yes. to look up PFF grades for, the senior bowl is not even on the list of those things. Plus, it doesn't have it. It doesn't even do it anyway. It just has D-line. It doesn't have, like, whether the guy. All right, whatever. It doesn't say. Yeah, I don't see. It doesn't have, like, the number of snaps that he spent in coverage from what I can tell. It says if you scroll all the way over to the to the, to the end, oh, okay, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, great. Yeah. It has like alignment snaps, a DL alignment snaps, and coverage. We're just giving people a tutorial of how to use PFF now. We're not even actually going to do the death chart. We people, lied to you guys. We're giving Doug. We're giving Doug yeah. a tutorial of how to do uh, PFF. Let's see coverage, coverage snaps. I'm getting aggravated. Can someone figure this out? How yes, many coverage snaps did David Ojabo play versus how many did Aiden Hutchinson play? That's what I want to know. That's what I'm um, trying to figure out. My heart, I'm having heart palpitations well, Aiden trying Hutchinson to figure played, this out. Aiden Hutchinson played 260 more snaps overall. Okay, so that's one stat. How many coverage snaps did they play? Is that is that available? It has... Yeah, it, it has in, in the alignment snap count. It has Aiden Hutchinson at four snaps in the box, David Ajabo seven in the box, and then yeah. he was lined, aligned in the slot three times in comparison to two for Aiden Hutchinson. That's but then not it, the targets, yeah, th- it's not like as detailed as what you're looking for. It probably should be, but you know, I don't work for PFF. So targets, David Ajabo. All right, I'm going to throw my computer through something is this entertaining to watch me be old and unable to work technology change your default pff change your default for a, to a thing for us but that has imagine. happened that has not to something that has preemptively happened oh, oh I'm, here it is I'm, here it is here it is um shoot i don't lost it uh, i did a stat search oh i'm sorry your stats didn't show up we defaulted to okay. stats from 2024 for a season that hasn't happened yet cool good default Ajabo had 44 coverage snaps and Aiden Hutchinson had 31. Okay. All right. So it's not completely, it's not yeah. like 60 to three. So, yeah. but I, but, but if you looked at that, so 44 coverage snaps for Ajabo, 31 for Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. Can we look up the same thing for Ohio state defensive ends? Yes, we can. Because I bet it's something like two and five, right? Is that what we, we, we would be expecting? No. Zach Harrison had 26, and then Tyreek Smith, because he would be the other side of that, had 13. Okay. How but many? That, like, that can't be completely accurate. 
Because I understand you said that Zach did it once, but he did it a couple more times as a standing rushman where he would back off and cut. Because that's not that crazy having if you're especially if you're blitzing to send a defensive end back to try to replace where the blitz no, is coming from. No, no, no. Right. You zone blitz and you do that. I felt like there were times though in the Ohio State Michigan game where like Ojabo just like covered the tight end. Like that it wasn't necessarily as much of he a got called on Jeff the Smith and Jigba once, and they made him pay for it. Yes, I, the, the Ohio State was not doing that level of it, where like David Ajabo would be covering someone who was out on a route. Like just right. like you would have an outside linebacker cover a, yeah. a tight end on a snap, and it's like, well, the way we're playing this defensive end, we're giving him a couple outside linebacker responsibilities and certain looks, and the result is that he's covering somebody in a way that. Ohio State defensive ends, if it's not a zone blitz and they're not backing a guy off to try to, like, give a quarterback a different look, wouldn't be caught in the same thing. Oh, my God. All right. And the conclusion is the stats worked. Doug's an idiot. And that didn't tell us anything. What do we think of the breakdown of personnel for this, Nathan? When you did this, did you do you see Harrison, Twimaloa and Sawyer like as a group of three? Above the other guys, Tyler Friday missed this entire year with an injury. Do you think he gets back right in the mix? Like if you were trying to guess sort of snap count breakdowns at defensive end in 2022, what would your guess be on that? That would be my guess. We're, we're, we're kind of, we're still kind of leaning on what we think Jack Sawyer will be more than what they really used him as this past season. Like his, his, his snap opportunities were, it seemed like limited for, for much of the season and it, especially relative to how quickly JT to him seemed to take on a bigger role, but everybody had a little bit of a lesser role once Tyreek Smith came back and was healthy and, and started taking more snaps there. So that is still though, I think those are the three highest upside guys and the guys that I think you would try to um, put in situations where they can attack and, and help you with the pass rush as much as possible. The other wrinkle here with Friday is I guess there's an opportunity for him inside potentially if he wants it. They've talked about that before. And does that somehow fit him better now that he's coming back from injury? I don't know, but it's something in the back of my mind that I'm thinking I wouldn't rule out for him. It would seem like he's coming off a knee injury and he's probably put on a bunch of weight anyway because he wasn't a lot able to do stuff for six months that it would just be easier to move him inside now than trying to drop all that weight just to be outside. But then also Javante Jean-Baptiste is going to play. So, I mean, he played He played more snaps than Tumaloa did this year. Yes. He was at 313. JJB's at 313. JT's at 286. Sawyer's at 173. Zach Harrison, 558. Tyreek Smith, 443. JJB, 313. Tumaloa, 286. Jack Sawyer, 173. That's our breakdown of edge rusher snaps this season. If we were guessing who leads this team in defensive end snaps in 2022, Zach Harrison's number one? Yes. Yes. Who's number two? I think it'll be JT to him I mean, the fact that there was only like 25 snaps separation between him and Jean-Baptiste for a guy who didn't get here till July. I, I just the, the upside is so apparent with with two and I think I agree with that. The other thing, too, is like JJB talking about JJB was standing up and moving around a mm-hmm. little bit. Right. He fits more maybe on that on that. Maybe if we're trying to put guys in, you know, which side do they fit more? Um, 
So if, if JT's second, who's third? Sawyer or JJB? That's where I think it's tricky. I mean, history would tell you it just based on your usage just last year, because that's where I think there is the disparity might tell you something. The fact that JJB would play twice as many snaps as Sawyer, but but some of this could come down again to just what you know Jim Knowles and how he wants to set this up. Steven, what do you think? Jack, but I think it'll be in the same range. And yet, but you know what's interesting? Ah, man, what's interesting about Sawyer, he played less down the stretch. Was he hurt? Yeah. I know little, he got knocked a out a little of, bit. He got knocked out of the Nebraska game with an ab injury right after he got a sack. And then the Rose Bowl, he got the targeting call. I think he got knocked out of the game. Yeah, uh, but so then that, also that, that does cost him some. Yeah, that plays into it. But then also like Tyreek Smith and Jack and Zach Harrison just started playing all the snaps. So you gotta think even with JT, a lot of his a lot of that is early in the season when guys were injured and JT was starting games. You look at Sawyer's snaps, Minnesota four, Oregon three, Tulsa 16, Akron 37, Rutgers 34. That's where it peaks. Maryland 17, Indiana 15, Penn State 7, Nebraska 5, Purdue 13, Michigan State 14, Michigan 4, Utah 4. And now again, but the, the Utah 4 was definitely influenced by getting booted. And Michigan was not a game for him as a pass rushing specialist who's probably just still got to work on his run game. Because even I'm looking at JT's, it's 13, 12, 45, and 35. That's the Tulsa-Akron games. And then 42 against against Rutgers, 20, 12, 22, and then 10, 19, 12. And then Michigan and Utah, where he's better against the run, is 22 in each of those games. So against Michigan and Utah, again, accounting for Sawyer being ejected. JT is 22-22, and Sawyer is 4-4. Yeah. That's significant. That's yep. that's yes. that's quite a big. That's a role versus not really a role. So yes. um, that's certainly Nathan and just what you're saying that that we have to factor that in. And that doesn't mean that I mean Jack Sawyer could make a leap to All American in year two. So could JT make a leap to All American in year two? But I think in particular, my instinct would be like Harrison one, JT two. I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. But if you said who will be the third in snaps among defensive ends, I'd be like, well, Jack Sawyer, of course, Jack Sawyer. But man, that was not much of a role at the end of the year when JJB kind of does did have a role this year. So I do think that's maybe more up in the air than at least Nathan, in my mind, I, the way I would be thinking at first blush when I think of like a veteran guy who's been around, but has been solid, but maybe hasn't broken through versus like this five-star top 10 recruit. Yeah. But I think it's also important to remember like which of those guys between JJB and, and Sawyer came in, I'm not sorry, between JT2 and Maloow and Sawyer came in with the body that was ready to maybe be more of an all around tight end or defensive end. Jeez. Uh, and I know he didn't come in until late in the summer, but still physically he fit what they needed better. And so what kind of growth does happens between Jack Sawyer's end of his freshman year, start of his sophomore year. Again, you're still talking about someone who has so much more to grow, I think, at this point in his career than JJB does. So that he could catch him in snaps. It wouldn't surprise me. Okay. That group, those defensive ends, that that's a group of five. Better, worse, same as the defensive ends this year. Stephen, what would you say? 
I think the ceiling is higher. Um, so I'll, I'll say better. Man, it's just, it is so tough because there were like times this past year where Tyreek Smith was like borderline the best football player on the field, but it was sporadic. And now you're taking him out of this and you're putting in a little bit more of an unknown quantity. But I think I would still say better. I think Harrison can be better coming back for another year. I think Tuimiloau and Sawyer will naturally be better with another year. Um, so I'm going to say better. So I would say better too. But again, I don't know if that's sort of how much of that is just like recruiting rankings, sort of like wishful thinking kind of better. Yeah. It, you look at Zach Harrison's overall PFF grade in 2021. He led the team defensively. His grade was 82. Tyreek Smith's grade was 74.9. That was fourth, but among guys who really played, it was second because Tyreek Williams was second. He only played 183 snaps. Josh Proctor was third. He only played 84 snaps before he got hurt. So you could argue that like the two defensive ends graded out better than anybody on the defense. Again, let's remember the numbers. 82 for Zach Harrison, seven, let's call it 75 for Tyreek Smith. Let's look at Chase Young in 2019. Do you know what his PFF grade in 2019 was? <laughs> like 96. 96. Oh, wow. Was 96. Oh, you were guessing. Oh, no. I was going to say nine. Yeah. 96. 96. So can we? What is look, it in 2018? Because well, that's okay. That's, that's I'm, second I'm gonna, year five star. No, but that's well, I'm not. No, but I'm just talking about we're talking. We're not. Yeah, I'm not talking about even like the individual player. I'm talking about Ohio State's best defensive end. Oh, yeah. you know what I mean? This is not a comparison. Yeah. It's not a player comparison. It's about a team okay. production grade. I wrote about this in my what Harrison's return means that we always do whenever a guy makes his decision. And he so Harrison this past year, he was he had a high state's, like you said, highest score by PFF. He also ranked 30th overall among defensive ends in the country and eighth in the Big Ten. And if you go just by pass rush grade, he was 27th nationally and sixth in the Big Ten. And that's with a, a snap minimum in there of guys who played a lot. So it again, I think it's I think this group can be better, but I think it has to be better. And I think it's something we've been saying for like three years now. So but, 28. Go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. Better is just is a counting stats number just because I'm looking at some of the Zach Harrison had the high. He was the highest graded defensive player in 2022. He had an 88. So, like, I mean, was he no, better no, no. in 2020? No, he was in 2021. Counting. I'm not, not talking stats. I'm not, right. not. I'm not counting stats. I'm talking production. We all saw Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith were good. They weren't as good as what we'd seen at defensive end at Ohio State in previous years, right? I mean, that's the thing we because they about weren't getting the counting stat of sex. No, because you can watch with your eyeballs and see that they're not as good. They're not as impactful from down to down. Do, are you disagreeing with that? It's like, like I'm not disagreeing, I suppose, but what if I they am... were doing those things, they would get more sacks. Yeah. Like, what, what is the point that you're making? What I am saying is by these PFF numbers that we are using right now to judge all of this, Zach Harrison was really, really good in 2020. As a matter of fact, he was on par with what Chase Young was in 2018, except Chase Young had 10 and a half sacks and Zach Harrison had like four. Okay, but they weren't as good last year. And we saw that with our eyeballs, right? Yeah. So the defensive ends weren't as good last year. Nick Bosa, 
In 2018, Nick Bosa was a 93. Chase Young was an 88. In 2017, there was only there was only three games for Bosa, though, right? Well, yeah. but that, I mean, but he, I mean, he is who he is. It's not like yeah. he was a 93 well, because he only saying. played three games. He was going to be a 90 plus if he'd have played the whole season. In, tw- just- in 2017, Nick Bosa was a 93. Uh, Tyquan Lewis was an 80. Sam Hubbard was a 78. Jalen Holmes was a 78. I don't know how far back this goes. Let's see. Well, so I, go back to 2014. You're hitting a really important point, though, and it's one we've Joey made. Bosa. Joey Bosa was a 91.7 in 2014. So one of the points we're making is they've had All-American defensive ends in the last couple of years they haven't, and, and like, the defense has suffered as a result. And, yeah, and just as, as the defense overall, like how quickly you drop down into the 70s. Like We've said all along that PFF, take one game, take one season, and don't put too much weight in those – stats it's more of a comparative thing with these grades and you could compare now every year back through Ohio State history and if you believe those other grades if you believe Chase Young and Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa and all those guys were as good as they were in those years then you have to then compare what Ohio State's doing now and it doesn't live up and the thing about PFF grades that are good is that it goes beyond the counting stats because they're not right. grading stats. They're grading like play by play. Did you do your job? And then we evaluated you on that play, what you're supposed to do. We gave you a rating for that and we add them all together. So the idea that, yes, Zach Harrison in 218 snaps in 2020 had an 88.8 grade. That is a very good grade um, in Twice as many snaps, snaps and 558 snaps. His grade was an 82 in 2021. So it's not about the guy. This conversation is the player X who's playing defensive end for Ohio State's defense. Unless Ohio State's defense changes enough under Jim Knowles that what they're asking guys to do, the way they attack teams, well, you don't need a defensive end to just sort of win his one-on-one battle and get to the quarterback in the same way that maybe you did before. Maybe that'll be more true, but they got very reliant. And why wouldn't you be reliant on four-man pressure, defensive ends get pressure, corners man up and play guys. And when they had all Americans at both those spots, this defense was great. And when they stopped having all Americans and only in quotation marks had good players, or very good players instead of all American players, this defense wasn't as good. So that's the issue. So I think they're addressing both. This goes back to the thing we talked about is coaching scheme personnel. All right. The personnel needs to play better. Needs to go from a B plus to an A plus for them to be who they really want to be. But also Nathan, maybe they're going to say, okay, well, we're not just going to rely on that. Jim Knowles is going to be pressure in a lot of different ways. So if we don't have chase young, we're still going to get after the quarterback pretty effectively. Yeah, and, and obviously we're also entering a, a situation where there's an interior group here that we're going to talk about in the middle that showed some acumen for getting to the quarterback last year and creating pressure on the interior. I think it's got to go hand-in-hand hand with what comes off the edge, but those guys can bring it a little bit too. But I think you're right. This is going to have to happen a little bit more schematically than it's happened for Ohio State in the last couple of years. They're going to have to find a way to – bring that pressure from other positions, but then also have the trust of the remaining positions that aren't blitzing on those plays that they're going to not get caught with their pants down. So Steven, if I said Ohio state should have a defensive end who grades out at 90 or better on PFF in 2022, acknowledging that that's not the be all end all, but also acknowledging that that is reflective of a, very, very good season by a defensive end. 
in a multitude of ways. Is that a, a realistic expectation or an unrealistic expectation when you have a former five-star recruit who's played a bunch for three years and has proven to be a very good football player coming back for year four, and you have two five-star guys coming into year two? That's a realistic expectation. You have three guys who are top 12 in their respective recruiting. Forget five-star. They were one among the top 12 players in the nation in their respective yeah. recruiting classes. Being at a 90 should be the standard when you're ranked that high. Yeah. But I also think that, I mean, last year's maybe a good example of this. Like Harrison was down to like 82. If they had just had another 82, how much better would that have been? It's like, it's that drop to me that where you start getting down into like, maybe you don't see a big, I mean, obviously there's a diff, bigger difference between 75 and 90 than there is between 75 and 82, but. Yeah. Okay. Zach, 2020 is so weird. I'm just looking like at Zach Harrison's game by game. Again, it's like, he played seven games. He played like more than 30 snaps in two games. Mm-hmm. One of them was against Northwestern, right? Even though Northwestern is a big 10 championship game, but it's like, it's, it's Northwestern, you know, like some of this is like that. I don't think that 88 is as reflective as, and I, I get your point, Nathan, of like, well, Nick Bosa's was a two and a half games, but just like the Joey Bosa full year, the Nick Bosa full year, the Chase Young full year. Again, it is a tremendously high bar, but that is, Zach Harrison's 88 is not, is not quite that like the level of down to down game to game dominance that a grade that high would normally reflect. Well, and remember early in the 2020 season, one of the stories that we were all writing about was why isn't Zach Harrison playing more? Right. And he did come on and then he did. And it sort of, it sort of happened and he did, he played more and he played better by the end of the year. So the question is, is it a realistic expectation that maybe somebody grades out at night? And again, it's just a shorthand. Steven, do they need that though? Like, like, is this, is that one of the things, like, do they need a, somebody to be a dominating all American level defensive end, or can they be a top 10 defense in 2022 without that? I mean, they they can probably be it without that, but it sure does help a lot of things when you just got a guy who lives back there. I mean, it makes things a lot simpler for everybody else. If I understand Jim Knowles has an aggressive uh, approach to play calling and they're going to blitz a lot next year. But what if you, instead of blitzing seven times out of every 10 plays, you only have to blitz four times out of every 10 plays because somebody's getting a sack, you know, from that, from one of the, from these defensive ends or these interior guys. So now you can just sit back in coverage and take away uh, passing lanes from a quarterback. Yeah, I, I it's, I don't know. And and the problem that Ohio State is facing right now is all those other defensive ends, Tuimiloal, JJB, Jack Sawyer, going by PFF grade, all down in the 60s last season. So just how much of a leap do you make? And if it's not Harrison, maybe Harrison has kind of hit his ceiling in that like mid-80s range, which is really, really, really good. But is the second person there to make that jump? I think it might be Tuimiloal. I think he might be that good that he could jump up into that 80s range. But that's a big leap from what he did as a freshman. But he did it as a true freshman with almost no lead time. I think if we played a game, and we'll play this on a podcast, we'll start, well, when we start marking stuff down, this will be a good market down Monday of not now. Nathan's like, are you serious? No, we I have I, to do I, market I, down I Monday now. But it's like, name the guys who are going to be All-Americans in 2022. And if I had to say right now, it's like off the top of my head, the five Buckeyes most likely to be all Americans 
2022. If I went, if you went CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson, let's say, is I don't know if that's an obvious top three to everybody. Maybe yeah, it is. It is. Yes. Who are four and five? I think I might have JTT as one of them. Like with Paris Johnson, maybe are those, are they four and five? I mean, and if Paris you're going to say DeWan both, but if you're going to say name a defensive player, pick a defensive player. You think will be an all American in 2022 is JTT number one. I think he might be. Um, well, Denzel Burke's going to come into the season with a little bit more eyes on him. So, yeah, that'll pick. help. Um, that'll help. Ronnie Hickman also comes in with a little bit of maybe notoriety as like the leading tackler on the team and all that stuff. But I, I would love the price you would get on JTT if you were making a bet right now on that. I think a good example might be, I mean, Draymond Jones in 2017 was in like the seventies, like mid seventies. And he jumped up to a 90 in 2018, which is, that's what's crazy. That's one of the worst defenses ever. And they had three guys who were all borderline nineties on the defensive line. Obviously a one only played three games, but still, but the idea that he has the Draymond Jones type of jump, I mean, sure. That's on the table where he goes from like a 67 to a 87. I could see that. Because there's, a, he was so good as a freshman, and we have not seen the ceiling. And that doesn't mean that Zach Harrison can't be an All American, but we've had pretty good eyeballs on Zach Harrison for three years here, and it's like we thought maybe that All American level jump was going to happen for Zach Harrison last year, and he was a very good football player, but he wasn't an All American. And now maybe we think if you're talking about jump, maybe JTT's the guy. Well, that was three players. It's forty minutes. People are like, <laughs> this this is what I'm saying. We really. On the Browns podcast, on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, they're doing position group breakdowns. And so they're doing like the running backs get a whole podcast and the defensive backs get a whole podcast and the tight ends get a whole podcast. And I was like, are we doing like nine podcasts worth of content in two podcasts on this step? But for our listeners, you could also just cut out the 10 minutes where Stephen and I showed you how to use the Internet. That is true. Why is this red light flashing? Can we put a fast forward warning? I know they put an explicit warning on podcasts sometimes. Can we say, please be prepared to fast forward this podcast from minute 11 to minute 21? Because I'm probably not going to go back and cut it out because I'll probably screw that up. Now we just spent another four minutes discussing how long we're going on the podcast. Yeah, that's our our best content. (laughs) Next on Buckeye Talk, talking about how long this podcast is. We'll do that next. All right, we're back to do the second of the eight positions we have to cover on this podcast over the next four and a half hours. Nathan, who are your starting defensive tackles? So there's one wrinkle here, which is I don't think we've seen final certainty on what Jerron Cage is doing. He is a guy who was a senior this past year, but has the option of coming back. He has graduated, I'm pretty sure, but has the opportunity and would seem like someone who would benefit from it or certainly someone who is not like a clear top level NFL prospect yet, or may, may never be, but that but would have the opportunity to come back and that Ohio state could probably use his help again next year. So I didn't include him on this list because I don't know for sure that he's coming back, but I think if he did, that's who I guess would be the opening day starter at nose tackle. Okay. And they're in like winter workouts right now. They are, but the thing is, I, I'm pretty sure that it, like the underclassmen deadline has already passed. 
but he's not an underclassman. Yeah. And those guys yeah, have until a, a certain date to decide if they want to opt out of the draft. Right. All right. So just give us your whole too deep on the interior defensive line, Nathan. So I'm leaving him out for these purposes, but uh, I had, uh, I basically put four guys down. I had uh, Teron Vincent and Tyleek Williams as more like the three tech guys at the top of that rotation. And then Ty Hamilton and Mike Hall as more of the nose side of the rotation. Okay. So Haskell Garrett's gone and Antoine Jackson's gone, right? Those two guys are gone. Haskell Garrett, maybe gone. Haskell Garrett had the most snaps among defensive tackles last year with 392. Antoine Jackson was third with 310. Jerron Cage was fifth with 231. Among the guys that you're talking about, Teron Vincent was second on the team in snaps and defensive tackles last year with 370. Ty Hamilton was fourth at 255. Tyleek Williams was sixth at 183. And Mike Hall really didn't play. Um, Stephen, what do we think? Is this a good group? Again, that they 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 played six guys last year who played meaningful snaps. Tyleek Williams was a freshman All-American, was sixth on the team in defensive tackle snaps. Uh, of course, there's going to be some kind of rotation. What do we think of this? And it matters less who starts. I probably at this group than almost any other group on the team. Than any other group on the team. Not almost. This is where starting matters the least because you know they're going to rotate. What do we think of this group, Stephen? Um. It's decent, especially if you throw Cage back into it. That's five. And then maybe, you know, Noah Potter, who's maybe completely healed from that eye surgery he had, you throw him in there as well. Or maybe Caden Curry gets in the mix there as the freshman who enters a six-man rotation. Um, it's fine. I I don't know if it's better or worse than last year's group. I think this group has can do a lot of the same things, especially because Talik really flashed like last year. And so now you're moving him up on the hierarchy and he's getting a lot more snaps and combining that with what Teron Vincent kind of showed in that Rose bowl. I think it just, this is the one place where it might be the, just the same as it was last year. And you're cool with it. Yeah. When I write this up, I think I probably will include cage because technically Teron Vincent's in the same boat. I think he's yeah. done his four years, but we have no indication that he's not coming back. So um, I, I'll probably include them both the same way. And that they, they may be your starters on, on opening day. I, I think it's, I would, I would have a hard time saying better or worse right now. Also, I think it could be a case of essentially the same as what they got last year. So, you know, Haskell Garrett is a very good football player, but I feels like there's some upside in here. Like, are we, is there some undiscovered with Williams and Hall? Hamilton, yeah, some guys and, who might just like pop this year. Yes. And like even like holding on for the Teron Vincent true, true breakthrough. Yeah. Like it's like three young guys and an older guy that all feel interesting to me in a way that we're not a hundred percent sure what their ceiling is, but they've all they all played good football for Ohio State in 2021. Yeah, do you, Doug, you'd have a better perspective on this. Like, I was thinking of Vincent because he's a guy who we always said, like, well, once he gets an opportunity, he stays healthy. Well, he was pretty much healthy this past season and played a decent amount and didn't really, like, was fine, right? But he wasn't something great. We're still kind of waiting for the great and maybe right. fair or unfair. And, uh, but it made me think back to someone like Davon Hamilton. I think that's who, the guy who is a very different 
kind of recruit. Mike wasn't a high ranked recruit the way Vincent was, didn't have that kind of name recognition to help him, first of all. But a guy who didn't really do anything until that fourth year, right? Like that was the first year that he really became like a, a rotational guy. And in fifth year, he's clearly an NFL prospect. And I'm I'm curious if that same kind of thing could happen for Teron Vincent. Like people may have you almost write him off. And then he finally has that kind of breakthrough as a fifth year guy. I can remember after Davon Hamilton's fourth year, like somebody said to me, like, Hey, I think he's, he might be thinking about going into the draft. And I was like, what going into the draft for what to like, to not be picked. Like, what are you talking about? And then he stayed. And then he's like, he was like, excellent. He yeah. was, he was an excellent football player. And if I was a third round pick, so I, I do think that's very possible, and I haven't written this yet. I, I, it's been on my mind a lot. It's been on my mind a lot, and there's two things. Is, is there's a thing I, I want to really dig into and investigate this offseason, which is Ohio State, I feel like, on the defensive side of the ball, caught up to anybody in the country at defensive end and corner in a world where the passing game became the game, and the two defensive things you need to do to combat a passing game, cover receivers, and get to the quarterback, Ohio State got excellent at. They produced as many top-tier defensive ends and corners as anybody. And then, and maybe it's just a one-year thing, and I don't want to overreact to it, but I think it's a decent template. You look at Georgia, and what Georgia was the best defense in the country this year, and why? And Georgia was all defensive tackles and linebackers. And then they get in, and it's like, well, you can't run up the middle because they have three immovable athletic defensive tackles like nobody has ever seen. And then they have four linebackers on the field all the time who just run you down. And watching that national championship game, and then Bama has their own versions of that, right? Like Federian um, Mathis, defensive tackle for Bama, he's along the lines of like the Devontae White, Jalen Carter, who's the Jordan Davis kind of guys for Georgia. And then you watch, you know, Will Anderson, I don't know. He's an edge rusher. Is he really linebacker? Like Christian Harris is like a great linebacker for Georgia, like for Alabama. And then Georgia's just running guys through. It's like N'Kobe Dean is doing crazy things, but they Nolan Smith is really good and was a five-star recruit. And that was where I thought, well, Ohio State doesn't have that. And it's like, well, okay, well, what would you rather have? I'd rather have the edge rushers and the corners so we can, you know, you have a chance as I've been saying we a lot. I don't mean we, I don't I don't we Ohio State. I mean we observing them. God, I'm not a we. It's it, you just you're speaking for Ohio State, like on behalf of the people. List, yeah. So as I, like you're thinking as Ohio State, well, we have those guys. It's not Doug We, but I thought they don't have that. They don't have a Nicobe Dean, and they don't have a Jordan Davis. And is that well? You can't have everything. What are you talking about? It's like, all right, well, Ohio State has like the best receivers in the country. They have a freshman running back as good as anybody. They have a Heisman finalist at quarterback. They have NFL tackles on the offensive line. They have they've produced edge rushers and corners as well as anybody in the country. And then Doug is like, how come your linebackers and your defensive tackles aren't as good as Georgia? And I get that. And that might be what it is. But then I wondered how important is that now with where college football is to being able to do what you want to do? Like if you're, you know, like that just it, as, a, as a defense attacking somebody. So I'm interested in that idea. 
and I need to flesh it out and I need to think about it more and I need to watch more film and I need to dig into recruiting rankings and I need to think about it. Because in a lot of ways, it's bringing me back to what we thought about Ohio State defensive tackles when they played SEC teams in 2007. You said, where's their Glendorsey? And I've said that on this podcast before. But the reason I'm bringing this up is at defensive tackle right now, if you're like, okay, well, how can they get close to that? I think it's my call. And, and I, the, the, the Mike Hall discussion here is like, well, that guy was a good player in high school, right, Steven? It was like people mm-hmm. thought, oh, Mike Hall, he's good. Then, like, Ohio State recruited him, and he committed, and then it was like Mike Hall kept doing things, right? And didn't his recruiting ranking keep going higher and yeah. higher? And he if was I'm not thinking, a top 50 recruit when he first committed to Ohio State. That is but funny. if I'm trying to think about, well, if you, would, if you think maybe Ohio State needs to find some, some SEC-type defensive tackles, Who's the guy on this roster that right now has the best chance to be that? Is it Mike Hall? And that's not a shot at Tyleek Williams or anybody else, but like, I don't know. Isn't Mike Hall a little bigger and he seems really athletic and I know he didn't play this year, very played 30 snaps this year, but Nathan, that really intrigues me when I try to think of it that way. No, I think that that is the guy that I think is due for real growth in this this second year somebody that i mean i included him on the the too deep there and i i would expect him to play considerably more snaps than he did last year i I think what you're touching on too about how important is it to have this is a little bit of a tangent how important is it that to be great at defensive tackle um i don't know but i you've got to be great somewhere and i think that's been the problem for ohio state's defense the last couple years they just haven't been really great anywhere and we're going to this is a theme that's probably going to come up as we continue talking about this uh, through the rest of this episode. But like think of that 2019 team, like Davon Hamilton was a third round NFL draft pick. Was he like the sixth most important person on that defensive on that defense? Yeah, Ty Leak's actually bigger than my call. So I don't know why I thought. Of yeah, no, head, um, no, 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 combined. Yeah, there's a Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togiai element to what Mike happen with them because Talik Williams is bigger than him, but he's a little bit more agile. He doesn't play like a dude who's 315. He very quickly, he's very explosive off the ball, as we saw at times last season. He can kind of ruin a pocket for you. But to have a guy in there who can just stonewall a run game the way Tommy Tokiai did in 2020, and you combine that with another guy who can ruin a pocket, which is basically what George's whole formula is. They've got all these defensive tackles who get in there and ruin a pocket. So now a quarterback can't step into his throws. And so now that makes things more difficult. I, I what we saw with Bryce Chung in the national championship game. So you, if you have that concept and then you have Jack Sawyer and JT hit on the outside, now you're dealing with a different type of defensive line that is very reminiscent of 2019 when you had all those guys in the middle doing that with Chase Young getting sacks every other play. So, yeah, I mean, it's like you try to you try to run up at the middle and you can't because of the tackle. So then you have to run run wide and then the linebackers track you down. And it's it's, there's more to it than that. But that's a good place to start. And that is just what Georgia did. And we talked all year. Now, they ended up having some good some good corners. They had a, you know, a five star young guy who was playing and they had a transfer from Clemson who played a lot. But that's sort of what their formula was. It doesn't mean that's what Ohio State's formula has to be, but it's copycat league and you learn from stuff. But when I think about it, even though Haskell Garrett is gone, I'm going to say I think this defensive tackle group has a chance to be better because I think Tyleek Williams might call, and I'll throw Ty Hamilton in there, again, who's on his – follow his brother's track a little bit, right? 
those, I just wonder if there's a little more athleticism in there that they can just be more of a problem. Like solid is good, but even we just said, we saw the, we saw a decent example two years ago with Haskell, Haskell Garrett, Tommy Tokyo. It's not like you have to go to the SEC to see this, but they had a nice rotation at defensive tackle last year, but I don't know that it was game changing. And Nathan, I'll take the upside, the maybe upside of some of these young guys and think maybe this group has a chance to actually improve, even though Garrett's gone. Yeah, I, I think you might be right. I, I, the one guess caveat that I have is that whether it was Togiai, whether it was Davon Hamilton before him, I mean, those guys just, especially Togiai, like there was just an unmistakable physical presence as those guys brought to the field. It wasn't just capably doing their job. You know what I mean? Like there was something else. It was like you had a little bit of a like just statuesque monster there in the middle. And that's something that I I want I want to see who develops into that almost just purely from a physical standpoint, who creates that sort of obstacle for an offense here for these next two or three years. And so last time we had this discussion around Ohio State, it took a couple of years, but they got a guy. And and it was like they played these SEC teams and say, man, they don't tackle like that. And then they got Jonathan Hankins. And then Jonathan Hackens was like well over 300 pounds and started chasing down running backs from sideline to sideline. It was like, that's what that looks like. So the search for the next big Hank, he was, he's got, this guy's, this guy's been in the league for 10 years. What'd you say, Steven? It was a large man. No, and like, and could move. That's the yeah. thing. Like I, I want to got like, I want to, but you're talking about what you're, you're talking about a guy who's like well over 300 with size and still has great feet and still has great quickness. And it is, man, it's like, good luck. <laughs> good luck finding those guys. But when you, when you get it, you see what it does. You see what it does for a team. And so as good as these defensive tackles has, have been, search for another big Hank is, is kind of a cool thing. And I'm just, maybe Tyleek Williams or Mike Hall's that guy. Maybe they are. That'd be a heck of a thing for this defense if they were. Okay. <laughs> Linebacker, we got to do linebacker. Uh, are we mostly Nathan with your depth chart? Are we mostly thinking two? Are we thinking three? And can uh, like dispense with the alignment situations early on so we can dive in? My assumption is two. My assumption is this will be a three safety defense again. But man, I really don't have a great read on who those two will be. Like I, I changed this list about seven times. And uh, I'm still not happy with it. I don't know what I'm actually going to write when people see this Tuesday morning. So I also think you have to, we have to have something in mind of what, when they play Wisconsin and Iowa. Sure. Who's the, who will be the third linebacker on the field. So we have to identify, I think that third guy, even if we think if Ohio state did put out a depth chart, the typical depth chart might only have two linebacker spots, three safety spots and two corner spots, which I, I would be my guess of how it would look if they did one or how the Nathan Baird depth chart will look when Nathan Baird puts it out in the fall. Is that what your guess would be, Nathan? That's two linebackers, three safeties, two corners? Yes. Yeah, okay. that's what I went by on here. All right. So who are your two starters at linebacker then? Well, at the end of the day, I ended up just sort of defaulting back to what we saw at the end of last year, which was steel chambers and at the, sort of that will spot and Cody Simon at the Mike spot. Um, but and, and because I think we didn't see the best of Cody Simon because he was hurt all year. 
and played through an injury to the point where he couldn't play through it anymore. And we probably also didn't see the best of Steel Chambers as a linebacker because he was barely a linebacker before the season started. So I would, I, I think I'm fairly comfortable projecting both those guys being better next year. And it wouldn't surprise me if you're going, if they did, if they go to just sort of the more natural roles of those positions, that those are the guys who take them. But I think there's three other guys who could maybe enter the conversation. All right, Stephen, what do you think of these two guys as the top two? For now? Okay. It's fine. I'll agree with it. They'll probably be at least penciled in as first-team guys as they head into spring football. But I won't be shocked if only one or maybe none is a starter by the time we get to the actual season. There's a lot of intriguing prospects here and how this spring and how this offseason is going to play out. I mean, there's a lot of names that I'm very interested in. Yeah, I think no question this is who I think is on top of a depth chart today. But you're projecting for opening day, and it gets a lot more complicated. Right, and I I think that makes sense. By snaps last year, Cody Simon, 435. Tommy Eichenberg, 431. Steel Chambers, 423. This is by PFF numbers. So basically equal. All in different ways, right? Simon dealing with an injury, Eichenberg's role kind of changing, almost like uh, wasn't a straight line up or straight line down. Chambers clearly coming on in the second half of the year. I think to make this the starters now makes sense. And then to me, if you were saying, well, who's the third linebacker in the Iowa Wisconsin games? I'd say it's Eichenberg, because like that's a. We saw he was the defensive player of the game in the, in the Rose Bowl. You're facing a team who wants to run the ball a lot and wants to be physical. I'd put Eichenberg in there, and I would not get hung up on, well, is he a well or is he a Mike? It's like, he's a third linebacker. I guess the team that wants to run the ball, I think Eichenberg would be on the field. Uh, I, maybe. Because I think you're still you're going to put a third linebacker on a field, but you still want that third linebacker to be able to play out there in space. Now, not against the running team, though. That's not the like they're going to well, have two tight ends in the game to run there. the ball. But you're you, you going to have three guys in the box. It's like the reason you have three linebackers in the field is because that team's going to have two and three tight ends on the field every time. Maybe a fullback, right? That like it, it, you're asking the guy to be in the box. I, I don't think you're worried too much about. I mean, I guess somebody's got to cover a tight end every now and then, but I think you want. I mean, it's like the Justin Hilliard role, like when Justin Hilliard's coming on the field. Nobody was worried about Justin Hilliard in space, right? There is no space against Iowa, but, Wisconsin. Yeah, but I think that Justin Hilliard was the kind of athlete that you would look at there more than Tommy Eichenberg. That's a different kind of athlete. So who would be your third guy? I think it could be someone like Stover. I think it could even be someone like Court Williams. So you're um, counting Court Williams as a linebacker, not a safety? I'm not not on this depth chart, but I w- wouldn't be surprised uh, because, again, as we're going to talk about, <laughs> I mean, the, what they call and not what they call, but what how they choose to distribute their talent. I don't know where that puts Court Williams next year because he seems right. like a guy that needs to be on the field. Yeah, he's going to be a safety in the three safety look he's going to be playing that box safety thing that they're going to call a safety. So I think he's the safety discussion guy. I don't think he's a linebacker discussion guy. I think you're right. Our purposes right saying. now. Nathan or Steven, what do you think about who would you have the third linebacker on the field be? I want to see a healthy Mitchell Melton. I just think that's an intriguing, a six, three, two 
and there might be something there. And had he not basically missed the entire spring and fall, I don't know, given how wide open this linebacker room, I think there was room for him to maybe have claimed a, not maybe a starting role, but he'd have at least been in that rotation of whatever they were doing. And I think he is a very intriguing guy at that size and can move a little bit. All right. Let's, let's not get too caught up. Let's talk about – let's throw out all the candidates. Cody Simon, Steel Chambers – Who's who would be third in your list of candidates, Nathan? It's your list. So you had these two guys as the starters. Who do you who would you say next? I mean, I'm really intrigued by CJ Hicks. All right, Hicks. Then who would you say? Um, I mean, Eichenberg's got to be considered in there the way he kind of finished the year, but I do think he is uh, someone who is much more effective against the run than he is against the pass. And I, I, I wonder if last year showed Ohio State that it needs more versatile athletes, a linebacker than that. All right. So who will be your fifth guy? Might be Melton right now. Uh, they've obviously got Diamante Tranum coming in, making the position switch. And I, I, it's hard to assume that they could flip somebody as well as they did steel chambers. But this guy gave up, I think a fairly decent opportunity at Arizona state to come here and do this. So you must think that it's going to work. We have not. Did you guys talk about him a lot on a podcast that I wasn't on? Cause I feel like we have not talked about him very much. This is a guy transferring. who's an Ohio native was playing running back at Arizona state and is transferring to Ohio state to be a linebacker. Do we need to give people like a 30 second breakdown of anybody who's like, well, I follow the team and I had heard about it, but what, it, it happened on Christmas Day. I can't remember if we didn't talk about it because uh, we were in kind of a, 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 a blind spot right there for a little while. But, yeah, Arizona State played – he's a guy from Ohio, uh, played running back at Arizona State for a couple of years, was productive there, but is now transferring back here to do the Steel Chambers thing and convert to linebacker. Was recruited as a running back to Ohio State out of Archbishop Hoban. Yeah, I remember when he was and being the- recruited. Yeah, the 2020 recruit. He was like, when they were missing on guys in that 2020 class, he's one of the people they were missing on. Didn't he commit to Arizona State kind of early when it felt like, hey, he might still be a guy that Ohio State wants? And then it was like, nope, he's gone. It was like, what? Yeah, it was like, I think it was June 26th. So it was right after the Kendall Milton thing. And it's like, all right, well, next on the list is Diamante Tranum. No, no, it's not going to be Diamante Tranum. He's going to Arizona State. So, yeah. Okay. All right, so that's six names. Is there another name that we need to have in here? Who have we not said? Carico, top 100 Carico, linebacker. Yeah. And then Stover, if we think he's going to be a linebacker. It's awesome how last year they had no linebacker depth, and now they've got all these chairs filled well, up, and they only have two spots. I don't know if that means they have linebacker depth, though. They have linebacker names. Listen, yeah. I didn't say depth. I just said the chairs are filled. Because it doesn't take much to have depth when you've only got two positions. It's true. Like five guys gives you depth, really, let alone eight. But do they have five that they really like? Do they have five that help them beat Alabama, Georgia, etc.? All right. So how do we how do we how do we talk about this? They have eight guys. Mitchell Melton's been beset by injuries. Demonte Tranum is transferring here from another school and changing positions. Cade Stover is changing positions here. CJ Hicks is a true freshman. Reed Carrico 
is a second-year guy who hasn't played at all. Steel Chambers changed positions last year. Tommy Eichenberg seems suited particular style of play that isn't what most of their opponents play. And then there's Cody Simon. And did you say Mitchell Melton who missed all of last year? And Mitchell, yeah, I said him at the start. Yeah, so okay. those are your eight guys. Hold That's, on, and is Taraja Mitchell still on the team? Do we think he is? I I, again, he would be one of those guys who would have that year available yeah. to him if he chooses to use it. I mean, we haven't. There's some guys that just haven't made that public whether they're staying or not. And we've asked Ohio State, and they haven't made any grand roster announcements either. I mean, whatever. Like, no, it doesn't matter. It he's, doesn't. Just, we're just listening. I was just making sure yeah, we didn't no, no. the linebackers. Right. So, and the, the most sure thing guy missed the end of the year with the shoulder injury. Are, are there, what is, uh, let's say, I want to ask two questions here because we can drive ourselves crazy trying to have this discussion. Two questions. The first is, how would you describe your level of belief that some, one way or another, they will have good linebacker play in 2022 that among these eight options is some group of guys who will provide them a higher level of linebacker play than Ohio state had in 2021. Do you believe in that Nathan? No. Steven, do you believe in that? It was such a plot answer. Um, I feel like when you say yeah. also a higher level of play, I mean, we're not talking about just, are they going to be, a little bit better, incrementally better. Like, will the will the linebackers be a strength as opposed to a problem? Or will we just will we be talking on this podcast about like the linebackers aren't good enough? Or we'll be like, no, they're good enough. Maybe they're not Wisconsin's linebackers or Penn State's linebackers or Georgia's linebackers. They're good enough. There are too many names, and you don't necessarily feel all that confident about any of them right now because I, they're either young and just got here or just didn't give you enough last year to think that there's going to be another step yet. And I think this goes back to something I said when you're reading off all those PFF grades too. It's like maybe you could get by with the linebackers just being all right if if you were great somewhere else. But where else are they great on defense? Like there's, you know what I mean? Like nothing covers it up. Like there's, it's 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 like pretty good, pretty good, bad, okay. It nothing is there to like something's got to take something has to offset when you dip somewhere else. But even if let's just say they had a dude on the defensive line this past year. These linebackers weren't just all right enough to where like a dude on the defensive line was going to overcome that. So nothing makes linebackers look better than really good defensive tackles who are like taking up blocks and not letting interior linemen get to the second level and are making running backs hesitate in the hole and all that kind of stuff. Like that is, that is magic. That is gold. So you start getting some guys on the interior clogging stuff up and you can make your linebackers look like they're all of a sudden tracking down guys and making tackles. But yes, all the stuff we just talked about again, Nathan, you went through and said how Zach Harrison was, you know, was a good football player last year, but when you go through, it's like, well, this is what he graded in the big 10. We talked all year about like all the really good linebackers in the big 10, like, you know, two of the Penn state guys left one of the Wisconsin guys left, you know, I think the Indiana guy's gone. The Nebraska guy's gone. Right. So there's a lot of the, I mean, Guys move on. Some of the Iowa guys are back, though. But I don't know. Like, if you said, so let's do this. Does anybody want to make predictions at the end of January on who the two starting linebackers will be against Notre Dame? No. Not really, but that's what I've decided (laughs) to try to do. (laughs) 
I do well, not I, want to do that. No, my but, name but, will be on it tomorrow morning. But you also said that, like, this is, you know, you're sort of saying the two guys you picked are like, well, I think these would be like, at the very least, they'd be the two guys now if this death chart came out today. And I think Cody Simon and Steel Chambers would be those guys. But this is like, if anybody wanted to lay down, like, I'm just waiting for CJ Hicks to take this room by storm or the K, the positions which you think Steel Chambers adapted a linebacker quickly, wait till you see Cade Stover. He's going to seize a job. Or, I've just been waiting for Mitchell Melton to get healthy. That deal, that dude is real. Or people forgot about Reed Carrico, but this guy's like a top 100 recruit. He was born to play linebacker. That's the real deal. Or people are overlooking Tommy Eichenberg and he's taken for granted and he's going to show everybody how good he is. Nobody wants to plant any of those flags right this moment. Well, I mean, let's not forget, they also have a new coach, a new defensive coordinator who is also the new linebackers coach and a new set of eyes and a completely new evaluation of everybody's talents coming into this. So what they got snap-wise last year may not mean a whole lot. Except we said the same thing before the 2019 season, and they rolled out the exact same linebackers. And they did. Now, in the so, end, one of those guys was a second-round pick. So that was Oh, yeah, a, he was. And one of those guys was a third-round pick. This is so, true. And the other uh, guy is well, now meme on Twitter for trying to chase down Devontae Smith. No, but if you're talking about before 2019, you throw Malik uh, Harrison in there, too. Oh, that's true. Malik Harrison. Yeah, you do. Like- but I'll just say, all I'm saying is to the logic that you're using there, the linebackers were all types of awful in 2018, and they rolled out the exact same guys, regardless of who the names was and what they ended up being. At the moment, when we walked into that spring, everybody was asking Al Washington, basically, hey, are you just not going to play these linebackers because they stunk last year? And he said, we'll see. And then the answer was, no, we're going to roll out the exact same four linebackers and we're just going to run it back. And then the guys behind them that we were all wondering about, hey, maybe they'll play these guys instead, never played at all at Ohio State. And so we wrote up into history. This is more muddled than that because, well, maybe it's not that. I mean, like, I think it's the exact same. Eichenberg, Chambers, and Simon, as we said, clearly played the most last year. And so now the question is, will that change? Or we will be back in a place where the three linebackers in 2022 who played the most snaps will be Steel Chambers, Cody Simon, and Tommy Eichenberg. And all this other stuff is just some dudes flapping in the wind. That's possible, but. I would bet on I wouldn't bet on that. So let me would you bet on those three leading the linebackers and snaps? I was so I was gonna make a say, like, are they gonna be better or not? And then who are the two guys gonna be? Nobody wants to stake a claim on the two guys. So let's just say, do we believe that Simon Eichenberg and Chambers will lead the linebackers in snaps this season? Or do we think somebody will break that up? Somebody else will be in the top three. Nathan, what do you think? I think one of those three will lead, yeah. No, but yeah. will they be the top three? You will those three, three be um, the top three? Or will somebody else be in the top three instead? Mitchell Melton will be one of the top three, or CJ Hicks will be one of the top three. Yeah, I, I guess I would still say they'll be the top three. Steven, what do you think? This is stressful. Nathan is like pulling his hair out. Talking about linebackers oh, at Ohio State is stressful. Having the video on reminds me of how badly I need a haircut. So anyway. Steven. I'm getting a, I'm getting a haircut this week. I'm getting a haircut this week, guys. Just so you know, I'll I'll text that later. I'm getting a haircut this week. Stephen, go ahead. I got a haircut. I get a haircut every week. Um, that's a culture thing. Do you have um, a Do you have a a time? Uh, do you have a Do you have a time, Stephen? Like, yeah. if you go like Tuesday at eleven, like that's your time. Or something? No, I go uh, Friday four or five o'clock. Friday four or five o'clock, and then like if I'm 
Yeah, but if I'm traveling, I'll change it to Thursday, obviously, yeah. when we're in the season. Um, but to the point, I was having fun doing these pods. I'm not having fun doing this no. linebacker thing. Um, I'll say no, it won't they won't be the top three, but all of them will play. Yeah. I'm I think somebody works their way in. And I'll be this is probably the most interesting thing of the spring. This will be one of those like first day of spring if we're there to see stuff like who's out there who's out there at linebacker will be where our binoculars as train are trained. And we will ask Jim Knowles as we're asking Jim Knowles, a thousand questions about, Oh, what are you going to do in scheming up the defense? We're also going to ask him a thousand questions about who is going to play at linebacker for Ohio state in 2022 stressed out. All right. We'll get to the secondary six positions down five to go. We'll do it next on Buckeye talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, moving to the secondary. Nathan, are we operating under the basic assumption of two deep safeties and a box safety? Is that how we're thinking of it? Yeah, and then I think it's the only interesting wrinkle to me really is then what kind of player they want at box safety. But I, well, I was going to say, but I think they have the exact guy they want at box safety, but maybe that's just in my head. Is the guy from California who went to St. John Bosco? Yeah. Okay. In, in mine too, but we'll talk about that. I mean, so who are you start off talking about that? Who are your three starters, Nathan? So my three starters are Josh Proctor at free safety, Ronnie Hickman as another safety. And I don't know what we're calling that, but we don't care it today. And then I have Court Williams as the third guy as the box safety. Is this what every person listening to this would have, Stephen? Are we as as we had eight guys for two spots at linebacker? There are other options here, but is this where most people are, do you think, Stephen? I mean, I would hope so, yeah. I think if we tweeted this out, Court Williams would probably retweet it, like it, and quote tweet it in every way possible. But, yeah, this just seems like this is where this is headed. And to be honest with you, whatever names you want to give these things, it seemed like this is where they wanted things to head eventually anyway with this situation and the way they've recruited the defensive back position, the safety position, they wanted to get here anyway. And court Williams, basically since the moment he committed to Ohio state has been the poster child for what the bullet box safety, whatever you want to call it was going to be in a defensive scheme in the Ryan day era. I'm very comfortable with the idea, Nathan of Ronnie Hickman being back and not up. Now, I don't know. Bryson Shaw is a guy that played a boatload of snaps for Ohio State this past season. And I don't think we can be dismissive of his chances of starting for this defense again. But I also don't disagree that you don't have him as a starter now. He played 667 snaps last year. That was third on the defense. And we know why, because he came in when Proctor got hurt and the guy who was ahead of him who beat him out is now back healthy. And we're, you're putting that guy in as the starter. Right. But I suppose would it be impossible if the starting lineup was Proctor and Shaw deep and Hickman as the box safety? Is that at least a theoretical idea. I just don't, maybe. Yeah, it's theoretically possible. And, and I don't know, maybe they align it that way sometimes depending on matchups, but that's not my assumption. I mean, it, 
Bryce Achaw didn't beat those guys out for jobs last year, at least not, you know, Hickman. And although he wasn't really competing against Hickman, I suppose, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just feel like Hickman has proven himself to be what he was for this defense last year. Proctor is better than Shaw. I think it's fair to say, assuming he comes back with no issues from the injury. And they talked during the Rose Bowl, Matt Barnes did that he was healthier uh, or was, you know, ahead of schedule. So I think Bryce and Shaw um, can, can do some things for this team. If I guess it's one of those things where like, I, I feel like Bryce and Shaw being your backup is what a good defense is supposed to look like. I think the only game that matters with this conversation is the Minnesota game. Because that's how this would have worked all season long had Proctor not gotten hurt. Proctor played 63 snaps. Ronnie Hickman played 62 snaps. Bryson Shaw played 15. But Bryson Shaw did play better than I think he was given credit for. So I think that's worth mentioning. I think that's worth mentioning. Uh, Yeah, it's this is not even about you know is he capable of doing the job. He's just not the best person for it. As long as Josh Proctor gets back to completely being healthy and ready to go. So part of it is, too, that I'm not disputing Ronnie. I'm not disputing Bryson Shaw behind Ronnie Hickman and Josh Proctor. I'm wondering about Bryson Shaw versus Court Williams and the idea of in the name of like, these are the three guys we want on the field. Of course, I think Shaw has to be a deep guy. But Hickman played in the box. I mean, that's what Bullet was. It was sometimes you're back and sometimes you're up. And I do think I do think Hickman could do either of them. According to PFF, Ronnie Hickman last year, 325 snaps in the box, 244 snaps at free safety, 112 snaps in the slot. And I that can get a little, I mean, it's it's sometimes yeah. it's hardened, but that's up and back. So if for whatever reason you really like Bryson Shaw as a center field dude back there and Josh Proctor is a playmaker dude back there and you think that that's your better look, that's what I'm not, you know, yes, to your point in the Minnesota game, Shaw was clearly behind those two, but now they're playing three. Looking for three. And I think Hickman's versatile enough, Nathan, to give them options if they needed them. I also would project what you projected. Hickman and Proctor deep, Williams in the box. But I'm bringing up the guy who was third on the defense in snaps last year. So, But I think talking about it, – it's hard to project, too, because of Knowles and what Knowles will want. Because I think you can find ways that that defense was written about that would lead you to believe that they want a, a very uh, run support – kind of guy involved with that and maybe that could be Hickman too I suppose but like it just seems like a they want one of those three safeties to be someone like Court Williams but what else did Jim Knowles' defense do I mean the last couple years they had a guy named Tanner McAllister who was the box safety who was more of like a slot cornerback cover safety whatever Ohio State wanted to call him and that guy's now at Ohio State now, I don't think he's better than the guys Ohio State has, um, even though he's been starting there for a couple of years. But again, that's that's the only caveat I had there. Like, I think I think they've got to find a way to get Court Williams on the field. I think he started to prove that they need to find a way to get him on the field. But Tanner McAllister's here for a reason, too. Well, he's a, here to be an evangelist for Jim Knowles and for mm-hmm. to to help uh, the transition to the defense. 
And because he probably thinks it's cool to be at Ohio State. I'm not downplaying that. But also, again, I think we talked about it when he said he was going to transfer here. Again, that's he's a, he was a very good player for Oklahoma State. Ohio State has more good players than Oklahoma State does, even though Oklahoma State's defense, frankly, might have been better than Ohio State's last year. That's not how it should be. Um, Stephen, how much do you think Tanner McAllister needs to be factored into, like, heavy playing time as we think about this now? Um. I I don't want to factor him in too much. I think the fact that Lathan Ransom is out with a long-term injury changes some things is behind whoever, if behind court Williams, when you want to, you know, use some depth there, I think that you know, raises his, his stock there and how much he'll play. But I think the value with him is more in the spring when they're trying to install a lot of this stuff and some of this terminology. And I mean, he's going to be the only one that knows what Jim Knowles is talking about most of the time. So he can help guys along. But I don't think his ceiling from a talent standpoint is where Court Williams is, but also like Court Williams is just bigger than him. And if you're asking Tanner McAllister to do some things that one Court Williams can just do better because he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster and more talented, that's where that starts to weigh out. So I I think early on in the spring, a lot of Tanner McAllister reps because he knows what he's doing. By practice 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, fall camp, a lot of Court Williams. Cameron Martinez, and maybe Nathan Ransom is healthy by then. So, Nathan, there are some familiar names in this secondary that weren't in your top three. What's your second team for these safety spots? Well, and again, I know we're not getting hung up on positional uh, descriptions or names or whatever, but like this idea that Court Williams and Tanner McAllister are two very different kind of athletes. I put them both at one safety spot as that as being the box safety, but very different guys. Like, so I don't know. I don't know what Jim Knowles is going to want to do there. Um, behind Ray Hickman, I put Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez. And then I put Bryson Shaw behind Josh Proctor. So then what do we think? Like, is this seven guys? That's seven guys, all of whom have played to varying degrees. But, you know, we're not trying to throw redshirt freshmen with 30 snaps or true freshmen into this safety mix right now. Is this, is this Nathan, like this, this is a good group of seven to find three guys to start and a couple other guys who probably would be situational players different ways. I mean, I look at that collection of guys and I see potentially kind of the backbone of the defense, like guys you can really count on at all of those spots. Court Williams does still have a little bit more to prove. He, you know, he didn't get to play as much as he wanted to last year. And there was obviously some injury stuff for him coming into the year that affected that. But between Proctor and Hickman, and I would say Shaw, I mean, you've got three veterans that provide some stability. I don't think Shaw provides the same upside as those other two guys, but there's still, that's why I think him backing up really maybe backing up both of those spots in some ways is it gives you a, a nice collection to to take the you know, to be the top of your defense. And then w- what Williams can be underneath in that box role is really intriguing. Um, again, I think it's just a matter of whether that's the kind of athlete that Knowles wants there or does he want someone more like McAllister? Do you believe in that group of seven, Stephen? I think it'll be better because – for the most part, everybody there's got some level of experience, different varying degrees. Most of these guys are young still and got some upside. And then you also get Josh Proctor back. 
Yeah, it feels like Court Williams could be an all Big Ten player. It feels like Josh Proctor's ceiling. I don't know that we completely saw it right when we were starting to see it last year. He got hurt. Mm-hmm. It feels like we've all been intrigued by Cam Martinez at times on this podcast, and they basically changed his job in the middle of last season. He kind of vanished. But if he's going to be sort of a, a deep safety now, okay. Ronnie Hickman was like the defensive MVP of this team last year. And to me, I think there is a decent mix of certainty and upside when you think about this group that I think you can believe in Proctor. I think you definitely can believe in Hickman. I think you can believe in Bryson Shaw, at least from an experience standpoint. I think the like to believe in court Williams is not a leap of faith. Lathan Ransom has played important snaps for these team for this team. And then, but there's upside with Williams. There's upside with Proctor. There's upside with Cam Martinez. And I do think in the end, court Williams is probably setting settling in right where he's supposed to be. Last year, according to PFF, 72 snaps in the box, 77 at free safety, 24 snaps at what they called in the slot. But in the Rose Bowl, he played 47 snaps in the Rose Bowl. So that was the most he'd ever played. He played 35 against Michigan State. And again, this was a guy who was coming back from a serious injury, did not play until week four, um, played 27 snaps against Indiana, then did not play for a couple of weeks, but played 35 against Michigan State, basically didn't play against Michigan. And then against Utah, played 47 snaps, 24 in the box, 10 in the slot, nine at free safety three on the defensive line and one at something else is weird when the guys line up, but I think that's corner. He was, it's like, but it was, he really playing corner. It's like, no, he wasn't no. Playing corner. It was how would they ever call it? I get it. Yeah. But he was in the box and doing what we're projecting. Nathan, that's what he did in the Rose bowl. And in the Rose bowl, people were like, look at that guy. Well, that looks pretty good. Let's see more of that. Even though his PFF grade for that game is not great. Um, but I, I think that, Really good tackling grade, not a great coverage grade. So I think this makes sense. I think you're right. I think Proctor and Hickman deep and Court Williams in the box is a better version of anything we've seen from the safeties in a while. And if for some reason one of those guys gets hurt or something doesn't quite work out, the fact that your fallback options are Lathan Ransom, Cam Martinez, and Bryson Shaw. And this tan- and Tanner McAllister, who did this for Jim Knowles a year ago in a really good defense, that's a that's a pretty good group. I think this group has the mix of what you want, short of the who's Malik Hooker, right? Short of the who's the All American candidate. I don't know, but I think there's a couple All Big Ten candidates and a good mix of certainty and upside. So while I was just quibbling about the you know what kind of athlete Jim Knowles might want, what I think is intriguing about this is if you decide that that doesn't matter, it doesn't have to matter. This gives you the opportunity to just take the three best defensive backs there and put them on the field. And I think it would be kind of refreshing, I think, for Ohio State to have that because we've had so much talk these last couple of years about, you know, uh, single high safety and what kind of athlete do you want there and um, who can really play as a slot cornerback. And, and that I thought sometimes they might have put themselves in situations where they couldn't just put – five best defensive backs on the field. That's not going to be the case in 2022, assuming that they don't overthink it. So this, it is one of these things. I, it does matter. I think how you deploy certain guys, for instance, for people who follow the Browns, John Johnson, the third was a big free agent signing for the Browns at safety last off season. 
he had played, I think I have this right, played it like more in the box for the Rams. The Browns brought him here and just had him play deep safety the whole first half of the season. He wasn't as good. And then the second half of the season, they kind of brought him down and let him play a little more of what he had done with the Rams when he was, you know, in the top probably 10 or 15% of safeties in the league and getting back, even though he was a safety the whole time, the responsibilities he had snapped the snap, he got back to what he'd been doing more and he got better. So he got more comfortable about it. So could Court Williams play deep? He was playing deep at times for them. I don't know that any of us all ever thought that's the best use of Court Williams' skill set, but now this feels like, all right, put him in the box. He could do other things, but that's where it feels like his best skill set is. Could Ronnie Hickman come down and play in the box? I think he, he could. He clearly could. He's been good at that. But I think also putting him deep, maybe you get at something there. Now, the thing, Stephen, that I think is difficult and is not worth spending too much time on because Jim Knowles will tell us, right? When Sean Wager's slot corner, or Lathan Ransom or Cam Artis, and it's like, all right, well, we play, what if you're playing a great slot receiver? It's like, well, you just have that guy cover it. I don't think this means that, like, Court Williams is going to play slot receivers in man coverage. That I, I, But now I do think you can bring, like, that Court Williams is really more like a linebacker. You can bring Hickman or Proctor down to play that man coverage if you want to play man coverage or you give some kind of zone look where somebody has him underneath somebody has help over the top and that's how you do that but i do think steven we're just we're getting away from the hey you have three corners on the field because you need to match up with teams who play who play ohio state style of offense right a year ago if we're talking about this ohio state defense and they're playing Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson out wide and Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot. It's like, well, how would, how would what we're talking about cover Jackson Smith and Jigba? But I think it would be like, it would fall more on Hickman and Proctor and maybe some rotational stuff and a lot of zone looks than being real worried about there was an era where they just would have put Gary on Conley in the slot and said, go cover Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's what we're not, I don't think they're going to do that anymore. I think you just have different, body types who play the exact same position. And when you have a Sean Wade who can just do it all, then he just doesn't come off the field, but they don't have a Sean Wade who can just do it all and doesn't come off the field. They've got a court Williams. They've got a Tanner McAllister. They've got a Lathan ransom. They've got Josh. Proc- they've got all these different guys. So like, it's almost like, okay, who are we playing this week? Because that's how we'll scheme up for that week. Who's on the field when, how many snaps court Williams is going to play against, you know, Iowa versus how many snaps is he going to play against Notre Dame versus maybe a Lathan Ransom or a Cam Martinez in that same spot. It's just, That's what it is now. It's just got a bunch of options to play in different spots because it was just what they want at the end of the day, which is why you recruit so many different body types from the same position. I do think I always like to reference the 2014 defense. It's like Court Williams would be more like the Darren Lee. Yes. And then Von Bell was the safety who would cover slot guys more. Tyvis Powell would be the deep guy. I'm not 100% sure how I think that will work out between Hickman and Proctor because I think either could be in either spot. If we go by last year when Proctor was playing early in this single high look, it's like, well, Proctor's the deep guy. But like, if you're asking someone to actually man up at times or really have responsibility for a slack guy, I'm not so sure it wouldn't be Proctor instead of Hickman. Might Proctor be did it in 2020, so I would he assume did. Between the two of them, it would be Proctor who would come up and cover because he's got some skills there. But the whole Proctor storyline was him transitioning from a safety who was more comfortable doing that to being the free safety that Ohio State needs. But they've also moved guys back. And I mean, everybody in this secondary seemingly has been 
sort of the cover safety at times or the deep safety at times. Yeah. And I do think that transition, because it's Knowles and it's new, but also because they're just trying to fit the pieces together. I don't know, right? That I, I like Ronnie Hickman deep. I like Ronnie Hickman as the box safety. I don't know how much I want Ronnie Hickman sort of as the first line of defense against a really good slot receiver. I don't know if I like Proctor's coverage skills more there. Maybe not, but I actually, th- I wouldn't be shocked, Nathan, if there's a little bit of moving around in the spring where it's like this safety room and Tim Walton is and uh, Perry Eliano are like trying to figure this out with Jim Knowles because they're all new. That's them. like everybody... Yeah involved in this process is all new and it very well may be it's like well cam martinez was this then they moved him to this and then the new coaches came in and said no 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 you're back to that right i think that that spring will be very interesting for that cam martinez is one of the more interesting guys because last year when there was more of a like binary relationship with the safeties either you're in the box or you're back and it's one he seemed the one that got tossed around a little bit now when you introduce a third position to him to kind of get moved into. But I think you're right that with all these new eyes on the situation, like who's to say that we get to August and they're like, Cam Martinez has to be on the field. He's one of the three. Like we don't, maybe they make that something. Maybe they make that evaluation. I don't know. I, I think that'd be a little bit of a jump just compared to some of the other guys that are in front of him right now. But I, I'm open to that because again, you're just getting a completely new uh, perspective on everything. And I think that that's something that, as much as anything gives this defense a little bit more upside for this year. Cause if I'm an athlete in this program, I'm thinking whatever baggage I had is gone. And I'm, I'm, I can come in and improve myself from day one to this whole new group of guys. But Steven, do we all agree that Proctor and Hickman have started before? So to project them as starters makes a lot of sense, but Steven, do we agree that if court Williams isn't starting, this season will be a little bit surprised. Yes. Yeah. That's where yeah, I am. Because it, it just seems like one, he's flashed every time we've got the chance to see him in extended snaps. But then two, it just seems like a defense that was headed in that direction. And you've got a guy that you recruited with the, with the idea of putting him in this box safety position. He's like the best player. He's probably the prototype of what you want there. So yes, it would be very shocking if we get out there for the first day of spring and he's not with the ones or we get to the Notre Dame game and he's not a starter. Cause I, like, I don't, I don't see him like losing a job, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we're just in, in to the, we're enjoying the story of court Williams and how people talk about him and what people have thought about him since the moment he signed to play for Ohio state. But now that he's through his injury, and he's done this, which is like flash in the Rose Bowl. It feels like the beginning of something. And I, I don't know that once he has this, that he would like let it go or have somebody else who pops to a greater degree than him. But I'm still hanging on to like, if, if Jim Knowles comes in and decides that the third safety needs to be more of what I say, Tad is like a slot corner cover safety, that kind of guy, that kind of athlete, Marcus Williamson and Sean Wade before him, that kind of thing. That's not where court Williams is. So that's, I would just keep that in the back of your mind too, that if, if he does get that positionally specific about what that athlete needs to be, that's not what court Williams is really competing to do. Right. That's not his, that's not his deal. I agree. So he wouldn't be losing a job necessarily. It would just be somewhere else. Maybe at linebacker. 
which is what we held off from the line. It's like the idea that they would just say, you know what? You're a linebacker. We've turned a running back into a linebacker. We've turned a tight end into a yeah. linebacker. We've <laughs> turned all, we've turned a, a running back at a different school into a linebacker. You're not a, like if Jim Knowles was like, why is this guy in the, why is this guy in the safety room? Have you seen this guy play? This guy is like a nose for the ball linebacker. Who's like in linebacker a big, room is going to be the toys of misfits by the end of the season. But if you, uh, but if you move court Williams to linebacker court Williams, I think is the best linebacker in that room. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I don't, you wouldn't move him there to be fifth. You'd be like, what are we doing? You're starting. And now the other eight guys can compete <laughs> to be the second linebacker next to court Williams. If you decided to do that, but we have plenty of time to roll, roll that around in our heads in the spring. But even I though too when, have been moved to linebacker, <laughs> we can get, we're all linebackers. We'll make it all linebackers by the time yeah. the season starts. <laughs> I too was moved to linebacker at Ohio State. That's the new Buckeye Talk T-shirt. Uh, Actually, was it? I was a terrible linebacker in high school for one year. That I believe. Um, the you fit right in with this 2020 linebacker group. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. That no, was no, that no. was me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pulling them down to my level. <laughs> oh my god! But I shut when you mentioned Court Williams in the line. You know, just and I said, shut your mouth when you're talking to me. Don't bring up Court Williams in the linebacker discussion. Now, because if we're going to say it, it would just be he's changing positions, right? If they said you're in this room now, this is what we're asking you to do. You do not spend your days with Perry Aliano anymore. You spend them with Jim Knowles, your linebacker. That would be a move. This kind of like hodgepodge in the middle kind of thing, whatever. Like it feels like the box safety thing maybe is a great fit for him. But to your point, Nathan, like maybe not. But then at some point it's like, then what is he? If you have a defense that like doesn't have a court Williams position, then it's like, then what? Then so there's something wrong with your defense. So they have to figure out exactly the best way to use his skills because it feels like this guy is one of their – I would bet that Court Williams in the 2022 season is one of their 20 best football players. I don't think that that is a stretch to say that. But also is that's no small potatoes because, you know, we're taking up a bunch of spots with Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud and guys like that. So, But you've, you've, they've got to figure this out. Nathan, like this is, this is, you've got to figure out how to use some of these guys, but to your point, it might be wide open because it's new. Well, no, I've, I've had a piece that I've been meaning to write that is, and something we've talked about on the pod before, like there's a list of guys right now, like like Court Williams and Cam Martinez at the top of that list of guys who seem clearly like they have the skills to help this team on a football field, but seem to kind of also be floating around. Like, what are they? Where do they go? What do you do with them? And again, you've got a whole new perspective now, a whole new defensive staff to, to, to try to figure that out. But I think they have to. I think it would be a little bit of a waste if those guys, we go a whole nother season kind of wondering like, well, he just didn't really have a place where he fit in on the field with this team. Like that, that seems weird. And to get back, like, I agree with you that I think the box safety makes sense for Court Williams. Uh, but I do think it means he is going to have to match up on slot receivers and stuff too. I mean, who else would, would do it at that point? Well, you'd bring the others, you'd bring another safety down that if he's more like in the box that he's like, I'm a linebacker, even though I'm in the safety room, but I stop the run. I cover tight ends, but yeah. if we're really having someone cover the slot, we're bringing Proctor or Hickman down over that guy. That's yeah, what that makes doing. sense. Yep. I actually think that's possible. So, okay. I think the corners by comparison, 
are now relatively straightforward, especially because now we're talking about only two being on the field. And we have some new guys and we have some guys who are back. So this might be a short discussion. Nathan, who are your starting cornerbacks for 2022? And obviously Denzel Burke will be a starting corner. And assuming, I mean, if he stays healthy, he may start every game of his Ohio State career, which will be um, quite an accomplishment, I guess, for a cornerback to come in and do that from true freshman day one. And on the other side, I put Cam Brown above Jordan Hancock, but I'm very open to the idea that Jordan Hancock takes a step and takes that job. And then is Ja'Kalen Johnson your fourth guy? I had Ja'Kalen Johnson, and I put an or with Legend Cavazos there. Um, Take that because, off. <laughs> well, because Johnson well, – hey, Johnson was hurt most of last year. I don't know exactly what his status is. And I, I think uh, – <laughs> I don't know that Cavazos will ever be better than like backup quality at this mm. point, but I also don't completely write a guy off because when they're young, they were overexposed. I think yeah. legend might be playing out of position to be completely honest with you. What do you think? He that's, well, that's, that's, that's part of it. bad I, news. Cause I, I, I didn't, this, this, you're right. It is bad. News. I think he's a safety, uh, but it is what it is. It's he wants to try to play corner fine, but I think he's a safety. I think he'd be a pretty decent safety too, which is why this is part of why I said take that off. I just don't think that there's a future there at corner for him. Well, I still think what if Cam Martinez is a corner? I can't. That's, what, that yeah, that, that's what I think. I think Legend and Cam or Martinez are both playing out of position. And if you told me that like we're, we're gonna they're gonna roll with Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, Jordan Hancock, Jaquelin Johnson, and Cam Martinez, and those are their five. That sounds players. right. That and and that. You know, maybe there's some situational stuff that because it's like, oh, great. Oh, so Cam Martinez went from like their sixth safety to their fifth corner for this guy who seems like a great football player to the point of figure it out. That's how you figure it out. I, maybe he could be more than that. I, I don't know. But that again, that can be a great spring podcast or it can be a, a March podcast before spring football guys who's and again, the idea of like, Oh, make up position changes. Like, well, they're changing positions of guys all over the place. So they're actually doing it. So it's not crazy for us to try to think that way. But for now, Cavazos played 50, no, 112 defensive snaps last year. Complexity played 24 snaps against Michigan state, but that's because they, they played all the backups in the second yeah. half like did not play when it mattered down the stretch other than the Michigan state game. He didn't really play in the second half of the year, played 14, 18, 13, 14, 18 snaps in uh, that's what five of the first six games and just did not grade out very high. Saw early on to your point, Nathan, the fact that legend Cavazos was in a position against Oregon to like make plays or not make plays that sort of hurt the defense is more about Ohio state. than It is about legend Cavazos yeah. and Ryan Watts was in that same position. And Ryan Watts left. So good luck to Ryan Watts who transferred to Texas, but also good luck to legend Cavazos who didn't leave. So it, to the point of don't give up a guy because he probably played too early, possibly out of position to your point, Steven combine those two things. This guy could still be a player for Ohio State. But right now, Stephen, the idea that you're top four, it feels pretty, I think, safe to everybody. Burke, Brown, Hancock, Johnson. What do you think, Stephen, if those are your top four corners? It's fine with me. And now it's a question of do they want to just do the, the good old-fashioned rotate three guys to two spots, or do they feel legitimately that they can play four guys? And that's up to – Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock to decide. 
or do they find two guys that don't come off the field that which which also I think is again in a world where mm-hmm. uh, the guy who liked to rotate corners is gone so I would imagine the Cincinnati cornerbacks might be rotating next season uh, heads up to the Bearcats but also when you play press man almost exclusively and you're chasing that's guys it, up and yeah. down the field that's the deal and if you're doing that's the question because with Halfley, they played so much zone that you could just keep the same two outside corners out there the entire time. So that there's another, hey, how much zone do you want to play in comparison to how much man? Because if they're playing, if if Jim Knowles says, I want to play 80% man, then it probably makes sense to, at bare minimum, rotate three guys, maybe even four. But if they're going to be doing a lot of zone, then okay, fine. Denzel Burke doesn't come off the field, and it's, you know the other spot is up to Cam Brown, Ja'Kalen Johnson, Jordan Hancock to figure it out. Now, on the other hand, there, I mean, so that scheme matters, but also the personnel matters and how close is the personnel. Nathan, the idea that Denzel Burke, who did early enroll last year, Jaqueline Johnson and Jordan Hancock did not, as we have discussed many times. Denzel Burke, unbelievable spring, unbelievable camp. Injuries, weirdness, opportunity opens up. He starts the opener in a surprise and never lets go. Probably will never let go until he leaves campus. Huge credit to him. Jordan Hancock and Jaqueline Johnson, were higher ranked than Denzel Burke, which doesn't matter anymore, but they weren't here. They weren't, didn't have a spring to kind of show what he could do. But now in year two, and not really based on Denzel Burke, just based on the idea of these are two highly rated cornerbacks in year two. I do think that the idea of Denzel Burke and Cam Brown locking down the two corner spots to the extent that like Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson never play. I don't know that that feels like it's necessarily all that on the table to me, because I think they want to take a, give these guys a shot at least. Yeah. And I think they'll get that shot both from their, their play and and their skill and where they are, but also let's face it. Like durability has not been Cam Brown's strength to this point. Mm -hmm. And I say that with all due respect, because I thought he at times last year really played through some stuff to help them. So I want to make sure that I'm not like denigrating him, but some guys are just healthier than others. Like health is a skill too. And he hasn't really had it. So I, they're going to need more guys than just those two. And unless one of the, like you're saying, unless one of those other two guys, those younger guys steps up and just demands to play. But at Cam Brown's been effective enough that I would expect him to be in at least some kind of a rotation. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, 67 overall grade for Cam Brown last year was a, was a really important player for them. I mean, really was probably honestly might've been the most underrated player on the team last year in terms of like how much we talked about him, how much fans talked about him versus how much he was contributing. And again, for a defense that, that wasn't great. um, He was a solid player. Is he at the level of the first round cornerback pipeline of Ohio state? No, but they needed him to do a job and he came back from injury and basically did it the whole year. And again, I even think like when you compare it to like the, just the weirdest seven banks year last year was just one of the weirdest years I've covered at Ohio state in 17 years of like what you thought he was coming off the season before what he turned out to be. There was an injury issue, but there clearly was something else beyond the injury issue. It was hard to tell sometimes which was what, and the result was he like he didn't completely vanish. He did play for them at times, but never to the level that you kind of thought he would be coming in. Just like a really weird year. And Cam Brown, I think, was a steadying force there. So I think maybe we've forgotten to do some of the are they better, are they worse, are they the same? Like when you think about the corner play, 
Nathan, do you think this group will be better, worse, or the same to a year ago? Better. Steven, what do you think? Better and potentially significantly better. It's hard. So when we have a discussion like this and there, you have to discuss what's in front of you and you can't assume crazy things, but guys are always going to get hurt. And so when it's one of those of like, Oh, they have eight linebackers. They have seven safeties. What are they going to do? It's like, guys are going to get hurt. So that's going to matter. And things are going to shake out in a way that we don't expect. And then there's also going to be a couple guys who we sort of talk about it and like, well, I don't know way who pop. And so somebody in this discussion or on the, the Monday discussion for the offense is going to be one of the 10 most important players on the team who we did not discuss in that way at all right now. And again, if we were doing this a year ago, we were talking about corners and we were talking about, we really think Ryan Watts is going to pop. Ryan Watts is long. He's a different body. He's sort of an ideal corner. He's going to, and it was like, ah, oh, Denzel Burke. I don't know. He's coming in early. Steven kind of likes Denzel Burke, but he didn't play all that much defense in high school. I don't know. It's like, oh no, Denzel Burke's their best corner. I mean, so, but I do think the, uh, to bet on the idea of either Jordan Hancock or Ja'Kalen Johnson, like popping in a, like a big way in a like return in some way to the first round corner pipeline that you throw them in with Denzel Burke. And all of a sudden it's like, man, I think Burke and Hancock are as good as any corner pairing in the country. Maybe not the best, but I think top five, like something like that, Steven is if we're trying to do another podcast of like outrageous predictions for the 2022 season that we do in February. If you said, I think both Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock make, or maybe even you just say Ohio state has two cornerbacks make either first team or second team, all big 10, that they have two of the four best corners in the big 10. That to me would be both an outrageous prediction, but also one that I could see coming true. It's a comfortable thing to say. I mean, top 60 corners and neither one of them was the one who proved to be a freshman all American. I think that's a safe bet to make that maybe, okay. Maybe one of them needs an extra year just because it maybe okay. Maybe Jake Jacqueline Johnson needs an extra year just because he was hurt all last year and missed out on a lot of valuable reps, but like Jordan Hancock is ready to go. I'll take that. I'll take my chances with that one. Just like to an extent, to a lesser extent to like the way we were talking about the defensive ends, the idea that I'll take our chances with either JT or Jack popping this year. I think I'll take my chances with either Jacqueline Johnson or Jordan Hancock popping this year and maybe both. And I do think, Nathan, I like to talk about like room construction. We talk about, we all like to talk about that stuff. If you said, all right, I got two spots, two starting spots in my room. Tell me how you want, what you want the collection of dudes to be. And if you said like, we got a young guy who's a sure thing, who's done it. We've got a veteran who's been around, who is really solid. And we absolutely trust him when he's on the field. And then we've got two young guys who haven't played yet, but we think have huge upside. I like that room. Like I like the construction of what these top four guys are. Yeah. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And if you're looking for that like sort of veteran youth balance though, I could see it shift over the course of this coming season a little bit to where early on, maybe that's why Cam Brown gets the edge. But by the end of this coming season, Denzel Burke, when he's starting his 25th game in a row at the start of his career or whatever he's your veteran guy now and you may be looking at one of those young guys who has taken that step as the second starter and i know you mentioned cavazos nathan is there anybody else that we need to mention in this discussion all um, in the corner i guess you know the guys who are are coming in 
whether that, you know, with Turner and Brown coming in, but them being up to speed, like the Denzel Burke thing is uncommon. I don't know that I would expect them to break a a top four rotation of of those other guys. Yeah. Zaire Brown's interesting just because he spent most of his life living in SEC country playing that position. But yeah, they just got to wait. Yeah. Again, ideally, it's like, congratulations to Denzel Burke. If Ohio State is starting a true freshman at, at on defense, yeah. that in the first game of his career, something has gone wrong. And like six things went wrong at cornerback to make that happen. And then, but then sometimes when things go wrong, great things happen. Buckeye talk. So then Denzel Burke, once you cracked the door for him, he was like, that's it. I got one lockdown for three years. Good luck to everybody else trying to play on the other spot. So congrats to him. But that's not the plan, Nathan. No, and frankly, I think you make a good point. We've talked a lot about the PFF grades over the course of these two depth chart episodes. Denzel Burke, 68-8 this past year. I think that's really, really good for a true freshman, but it's kind of unexceptional for just a cornerback playing college football. It's fine. If he was a yeah, if he was a junior, that's a bad year. So this is another position where there needs to be a jump in in accomplishment and jump in, in performance. And it's the thing that we talked about previously with some of the defensive end guys that it's, it's not, we're not really talking about the guy we're talking about the position and what an Ohio state defensive end, or now what an Ohio state cornerback should grade out at. And that's not about, that's not a Denzel Burke discussion. That's a Ohio state cornerback discussion so you're talking about Denzel Burke's grade let's go back and look at 2019 when this team was pretty darn good Jeffrey Okuda 82.8 seven banks in a limited role 82.3 Sean Wade 78.6 I'm trying to get down to Damon Arnett 74.1 and what again was Denzel Burke this year 68 68.8 so, like, this is remarkable. You look at the Ohio State defense and <laughs> the Ohio State defense in 2019 was pretty darn good. They what had was like Okuda's coverage grade. Okuda's coverage grade was 85.9. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's higher. That's high. That's higher. That's, That's higher than a lot of people. I mean, it's like blue. So, yeah. yeah. So, Denzel Burke was awesome for Ohio State in 2021. There is a standard at Ohio State, at cornerback, when they are at their best, when they are at their playoff best, that is higher than what Denzel Burke played at. Because, like, even Denzel Burke, like, did not have a great Michigan game. And I'm not saying that Denzel Burke could have, like, won the Michigan game by himself, but the idea of Jeffrey Okuda, by the end of his career, having that kind of game against Michigan is very unlikely. Not that Jeff Okuda or anybody hasn't had a bad game here or there. But again... It's not fair to compare Denzel Burke as a freshman to Jeff Okuda as a junior, but it is fair to compare Ohio State's corner to best corner to Ohio State's best corner, Stephen. And that's what we're doing. So it's Ohio State's issue. Their best corner in 2021 was a true freshman who wasn't even a full-time defensive player in high school. Their best cornerback in 2019 was a five-star recruit in his third season who was the third pick in the draft. That's an Ohio State issue, and at some point, we're holding Ohio State to the Ohio State standard. You know what's crazy? 
as good as Jeff Okuda's grades were, they actually were kind of low for what the standard was for first rounders. Tenzo Ward was a 90.8 with a 92.2 coverage grade. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Marshawn Lattimore was a 90 and a 89.9 coverage grade. So if Denzel Burke is on this track of being the next first rounder, given that he's getting ready to start every single game here, that's the track he needs to start heading towards. And it starts showing up this season. I'm not saying he needs to be 90 as a sophomore, but he should be flirting with the 80s. This makes me want to do some kind of podcast where I don't know how far PFF goes back, but we could use um, PFF. 2000. And the first, yeah, it does. But the first, the most they, 2011 is like the first Ohio State. Okay. Great. So we have like more than a decade. Yeah. So like sort of find the best PFF grade, like make a team of, well, actually we should do this. The highest Give a minimum number of snaps, but the highest PFF grades at every position, make that team show what that team would be like, and then talk about the actual 2022 Ohio State team and say what percent of the way toward the highest, toward the best is that right now. So we say, okay, our corners are now Denzel Ward 2017 and Marshawn Lattimore 2016. Here were their grades. Where do we think these two corner spots are? Well, we think they're a, they're like 58% of as good as that. Or we think they're 71% as good as that. And it will be informative because I do think Ohio State's own standard matters here, Nathan, right? Like when we talk about this, sometimes we sound like crazy people, but it's only because there's so much proof and evidence in the recent past of what it can be. And then you think about, well, who are the guys who were here together? And sometimes... You know, they didn't have Marshawn Lattimore and Chase Young at the same time. They didn't. But what's the standard at a certain position and how close are they to the highest threshold of that standard? I think it's an interesting way to analyze a team because in the end, on a game-to-game basis in most of their schedule, Ohio State's only reasonable comparison is itself. Yeah, and this came up when I was having some discussions in – Pasadena with some other writers about the Rose Bowl or during the Rose Bowl week. And I was, I was bringing up Burke as the example, like, okay, like he did some really interesting things and, and some good things. And like the promise is there as a true freshman, but what was his actual performance this year? Like how great was he this year? And I feel like a little bit that, that standard we have, you have to kind of keep your eye at that higher standard of what a truly great Ohio state defense looks like. And I've just kind of brought up that point a couple of times here that they've got to start being great at at least some position group. I don't know that they can be a national championship team as good as their offense is, unless you've got something to hang your hat on on defense. And that's really been lacking these last couple of years. Ohio State's all-decade, all-PFF team. Look for that coming at cleveland.com sometime before spring football. And we'll do it on a podcast. All right, that's the defensive depth chart. We hope you guys listened to the Monday pod, the offensive depth chart. That is honestly probably eight podcasts worth of content in two podcasts because that's just how we do it here. doesn't necessarily make sense, but parcel this out over the course of the offseason if you can't get through it all um, right at the same time. Although I'm telling you this at the end of the second podcast. So it's like, oh, great, Doug. I just listened to four and a half hours straight of these two podcasts. And now you're telling me to sprinkle it in? Sorry. 
We'll be back with more stuff. I don't know what. Actually, we got a guest. A national analyst will come on. We'll chat about some stuff coming up this week. And we'll figure out some other stuff to do. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk or cleveland.com slash OSU. Try either. For Nathan Baird. Nathan, thanks for doing all the death charts, man. Sure thing. Do we, I feel like maybe this time we didn't yell at you as much as we did last year about like, well, that's, you know, like you do all the work and then Stephen and I just criticize. Yeah. This time we just yelled at each other more for there. things like, or, or we're yelling at, at PFF's um, webpage construction. Yeah. Speaking of Which yelling I- at PFF, did you guys see the, uh, our guy, Anthony Trish's rankings of positions? I've been half following them kind of along the way. Uh, did he have CJ as the number one quarterback? No, he did not. He oh, wasn't even the number two quarterback. He had him and like fourth, fourth behind Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. Oh, yeah. That felt wrong. Just a little bit. <laughs> I don't know that Spencer Rattler. I don't even I don't know that the best of Spencer Rattler is that he's shown is better than what the best of CJ Stroud has shown. Even if and if you're trying to make an upside play, the worst. Yeah. Of CJ Stroud. Oh, now we're just doing another podcast. <laughs> oh no! Rankings. I only really brought it up for the for the idea of like PFF really loves Spencer Rattler, and I'm not really sure why. But so because his grades are always really really high, even when he wasn't playing well, he always graded well, even when he looked bored and was yes. throwing interceptions, throwing picks just because. Just because uh, we probably we can go through some PFF rankings. They're doing the top ten, I think, at every position. We can talk about yes. where Ohio State guys are, and then we can disagree. All right, we'll do that later for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.